Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight, we are starting with, maybe starting with, but at least getting into X-Wing Rogue Squadron by Michael Stackpole. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and with me as always are Chad Jayshonk and Ryan Schweck. Over to you first, Chad. Your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We're going to spoil this classic Star Wars novel. Over the course of our conversation, we may spoil anything else Star Wars up into and including the latest episode of Obi-Wan. Who knows what the hell will come out of our mouths. So you have been warned. Ryan. Well, over on the old news hollow, there's not a whole lot happening. A lot of it is the Andor press has began, so they're doing lots of interviews and um, <clears throat> teasing out like the toys. Uh, his first toy, they're doing a San Diego exclusive Black Series with him and his new droid. That's like a big. Have you seen this thing? It looks like a. It looks like a janitor's thing you keep a mop in. It's like this big thing with four wheels. It's kind of odd. I can't remember if we had talked about. They got a little more specific on how the seasons are going to work on Andor. Where when it gets to season two, every three episodes skips a year. Okay, we knew it was going to take place over like four years. But I didn't mm-hmm. know the breakdown. Yeah. So season one, it sounds like we kind of get him, whatever happens to his planet and all that stuff. And then it starts skipping in season two, which I kind of like, like the setup of that. Um, especially because it's, you know, it's the longest one. There's what, 12 episodes of each season of Andor. Um, oh, is there? Wow. Okay. Yeah, nice. which we'll see. I mean, hopefully that will help some. I mean, you know, like we talked about the Obi Wan. Hopefully that can that can um, maintain though. Like, right. I, I've been noticing, like, just I just finished watching Miss Marvel, and that was only six episodes, and I didn't feel gypped. I didn't either. They did a good job with yeah. you know, kind of self containing it and using the M word. But- yeah, yeah, and using the M word. <laughs> Yeah, and that was a really good show, and that was only six. Uh, the Boys was only eight. Obi-Wan was only six. Twelve seems – now I'm looking at 12 going like, ooh, that seems like a lot. Twelve does seem like a lot. And, well, and Netflix, if you remember like the early Daredevil Netflix shows, those were all, what, 12, 13? 13, yeah. They yeah. just got a little long. They they padded mm-hmm. them weird. So now Andor – I'll stand up for that first season of Daredevil. Oh, it's amazing. I love it. But, yeah. you know, Andor, they've got a lot to tell. If they're really going to show the beginning of the rebellion and focus on Mon Mothma and the partitions yeah. and all them, like there's a lot they can cover, especially knowing there's only two seasons and they're going to yeah. go from point A to B. I think yeah. that'll help. <clears throat> Another show news Skeleton Crew, surprisingly, is already filming. Yes. Yeah, um, they are in the volume in California and everything is pointing to that show is going to come out in fall of 23. Um, if not a little earlier. So that's kind of, that's one of the fastest I think that has happened from announcement to here it is. I want to call it like, I want to make like a space camp joke, but space is already in the title. Right. So it's like space, space camp, (laughs) galaxy camp. (laughs) And then in our last toy news, um, we are in lovely San Diego comic-con season. If you don't collect toys, you 
might not know this, but now instead of San Diego exclusives, most of the companies have their own little cons during the actual San Diego con. So you can like log on and watch. And so Walmart Collector Con is this week. So on Thursday, the 21st, just if people want to get them at 10 a.m., the new Purge Trooper will go up. It looks good. It's built on the last Purge Trooper body, but it has a new head and some new accessories. And then that droid assassin from Obi-Wan is going to go up too. Um, Those toys also, if you are looking for the Obi-Wan waves, are in the stores now. Um, I saw them today, actually. That was smart of them. You know, a lot of times they wait forever to ship those waves. But those are out now. You can find them. Um, Target seems to have gotten most of them, but I've seen people finding them in Walmart. I did get my George Lucas six-inch cane. I got mine while I was sick. Yeah, it came. I didn't know it was going to be on a vintage card. Yeah, I wish it kind of matched the Filoni one. So I, but I actually didn't open it this because it looks better to me in the in the card than it does on the shelf. So I'm thinking about ordering another one and then popping his head off and just putting him on other bodies just so I can have Jedi George and whatever George I feel like. Are there any bodies I could put him on that just to have like a flannel shirt and jeans? Because like (laughs) I would love to just have a George figure. I've seen people starting to customize them. Um, I would just love a George. Yeah. Yeah. Building them off like the Happy Hogan suit body figure. And yeah, something, something. Just, just give it, make them George. Uh, Comics roundup. We got two books, both written by Ethan Sachs. Bounty Hunters number 25 uh, with art by Villanelli. Uh, Tonga and the rest of the bounty hunters sneak under the Crimson Dawn flagship, the Vermilion, but they have to get through the Knights of Ren to get out. They don't get killed, but they do get their ass kicked. Uh, and even Bosk is scared shitless of the Knights, which is a big deal because the comics have taken this group of characters from a big screen afterthought to actual actual characters in the comics. Um, I surprisingly I, am kind of interested. Like I've enjoyed their little story. J.J. Abrams was not interested. And then there's Halcyon Legacy number four uh-huh, by Saxon Sliney. Um, this flashback adventure uh, on the luxury soon-to-be discount intergalactic star cruiser involves Lando Calrissian, Maz Kanata, and in a Galaxy's Edge crossover, Hondo Onaka. Oh. Um, it's not bad, but that's all the time I'm going to give it because it's Halcyon Legacy. <laughs> So before we get into Rogue Squadron, we thought something we haven't really done before, you know, kind of here and there we've we've referenced, but I thought it would be fun to talk about like our top three favorite scenes in Star Wars and not necessarily like the iconic moments or like the ones everybody knows, but the ones if you think like 
Star Wars. And immediately, these are the three scenes I think of, the ones that affect me the most. Does that make sense? I, I'll be honest. There's one that surprised me, and I kept coming back to it. I was like, really, Ryan? That's that's what you're thinking of? But we'll get there. So let's start our best. What's your, let's do our top three, and then we'll fill in some extras. So, Beth, what's it, what do you got coming in at number three? Oh, we're starting with number three. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, you got to build up. Oh, okay. Okay. Make them, um, give the people some anticipation. <laughs> okay. So my number three, I think, would be uh, Clone Wars, the last season, Ahsoka versus Maul. It had been a long time coming, and that scene was so beautifully animated it was so beautifully shot the motion capture was so good the music everything about that scene was just exactly what i wanted that scene's on my list for a different reason not for the fight for the conversation beforehand Uh yeah that too because I've thought a lot about that scene since it aired. I've thought a lot about, I mean, the fight's awesome. You're right. The fight's fucking fantastic. But I've thought a lot about the fact that Ahsoka's wrong. What do you want with Anakin Skywalker? He is the key to everything. To bring balance to the Force? To destroy. He has long been groomed for his role. As my master's new apprentice. You lie. I'm afraid not. In fact, I was so certain of his fate that I orchestrated this war to lure him here with Kenobi. To kill him. Thus depriving Sidious of his prized pupil. I know Anakin. Yeah. And Maul is right. Yeah. Even Ahsoka, who is considered the, you know, the the epitome of what it is to be a Jedi, in that moment she lets her attachment get in the way and she makes the wrong call. Because I mean, it, you know, you can't blame her for not trusting Maul. But the ramifications of that moment and the fact that Maul is ahead of the game and he's trying to warn her, that scene that scene has stuck with me even more than the fight has. Chad, what you got for three? Well, first, I want to start with the caveat is that everybody knows my favorite character, so I'm not picking any Han Solo moments, or else I would just probably pick three Han Solo moments. I'm going to say Squid Lake. Darth Plagueis is a dark lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise, he could use the Force to influence the midi-chlorians to create life. He had such a knowledge of the dark side, he could even keep the ones he cared about from dying. I'm a big fan of Squid Lake. I'm a big fan of Palpatine. It's the only time in the prequels where I believe Palpatine's seduction of Anakin. It's the time that Ian McDermott really gets a chance to shine. Hayden Christensen's Christensen's actually pretty good in that scene. Um, when I think about the prequels and I think about what they could have been, that scene to me is like what they could have been. Um, yeah. It's kind of the best dramatically that it got. Um, you know, there's plenty of great action in the prequels. There's plenty of great stuff in them. 
but that scene to me just stands out as like uh, amongst the prequels being being the one that stands out to me the dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural what happened to him he became so powerful the only thing he was afraid of was losing his power which eventually of course he did the way mcdermott like side eyes him through that whole scene is so good. Like, he just kind of looks over at him every once in a while. Like, he's totally buying this stuff. Not from a Jedi is one of the best lines in all of Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi. So much that, that Sheev does that is so over the top and so unbelievable. And so, like, come on, how does nobody see this? This is... Not subtle, but it's it's definitely a kind of weaseling in under the skin. And you can 100% see how he ends up getting to Anakin through this. And especially like having the water, the opera, you know, which is very like soothing and nice. And he's just kind of casually telling them like, yeah, you know, come to the dark side. We could totally take care of this. Well, yeah. And he tells him the story. It's the first time that we hear him speak about his master. You know, it get, it get, it's also very deep in lore. You know, because we get to hear about um, about Darth Plagueis and um, and starts kind of our obsession with that character. Yeah. Uh, Squid Lake. It's a great scene. My number three. And again, this one, I struggle with this one, but my number three is from Rebels and it's Twilight the Apprentice part two. It's on my short list. Let me mark that <laughs> yep. off. Yep. Yep. But when- <laughs> Vader's mask gets torn away and they overlay the voices, I think is probably the best thing they've done in animation. I won't leave you. Not this time. Then you will die. I like the way they animate Ahsoka um, and that kind of realization that, you know, it's true. It's so good. God, it's good. It was definitely on my list again for the, 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 the action is great, but yeah, the emotional beat. Mm-hmm. Of, of of hearing him say the word Ahsoka. Yeah. Hearing yes. Vader say the word Ahsoka. Um, yeah, that one to me has so much more emotional impact than the Ahsoka and Maul one. And and I, I get where you're coming from 100%, Chad, with the, the Ahsoka and Maul thing, but I think this is so much more emotional. And Oh, it's definitely more emotional, for sure. It's so it's it's almost tough to watch because it's so hard. It's not, it's not something I've gone back and watched a bunch, even though I think it's great, because it is tough to watch. It's a, it's a heartbreaking moment. Absolutely. All right. My, all right, man, these are hard. Yeah. Uh, okay. The very final scene of rogue one. And there are a lot of great scenes in rogue one, but the embrace of 
two people who have who have just they're at peace. They've done their jobs. They've they fulfilled their mission, and they've both come full circle with who they are and where they needed to be, where they wanted to be. Jen is at peace with her father was a good man and loved her. Cassie and Andor has fulfilled his mission. He's come full circle in the rest of his story that we will learn. But to me, that is just such a, even though it's kind of a downer ending, it's just also a very peaceful moment in a very kind of upsetting end of a movie. That was also my number two. <laughs> I'll slip my tie for three in. <laughs> no, that, it's it's a it's a powerful end of the movie. I mean, it's it's um, I remember watching that first trailer, thinking like they're all going to die, right? Like I remember mm-hmm. thinking that from the beginning, and then you watch the movie, and maybe you know you start to think like they're not really going to do that. This is it, it, ostensibly this is still a franchise for kids, right? They're not going to just kill everybody off, and then and then everybody dies, and everybody dies, and the death starts upside down. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Without Twilight of the Apprentice. Okay. I, I talked about this on the needless, on the, not needless things, not talking about anything on needless things anymore. Um, I talked about this on the sci-fi classics track, but Luke and Leia and the chasm in the Death Star. To me, and I said this on the live stream, that it's what taught me what movies was. Like if you tell me like, what are movies? I would show you that scene. That's movies. And um, as a kid, it was very impressionable moment for me. The but it not not just the swing across, although that's the image that sticks in my head. But uh, the entire sequence of them, it shows her toughness and his resourcefulness, and and you can see like the the heroes that they are. And um, it's still fraught with peril. The stormtroopers again are terrible shots. They should completely get massacred in that scene. Um, it establishes the Star Wars tradition of just shooting the controls for a door. I think about that a lot. I thought about Obi-Wan this week and they shot the laser fence and it turned off. And that's a crappy laser fence. Yeah. You they would always, think they would they would stop building locks like that. It's so it's so tense with the the door starting to come up and you see the little stormtrooper feet underneath it as the door is coming up and then Luke finally getting the idea getting the idea that should get them both killed because how the hell is he actually going to do that? But mm-hmm but he's our hero and he does it. But um, movies. But but if you want to talk about moments, it's just bam, popping in my head when I think Star Wars, that's one. All right. Since my second one got taken, I'm going to go with my tie for three. Okay. Now hear me out. Because <laughs> I was surprised by this one. But if you ask me- <laughs> Not a great way to like, start. Well, but if you ask me like moments I just think of or moments that like, I guess I have an emotional connection with. Right. And the old Phantom Menace- when yeah. Anakin runs back to Shmi and she tells him not to look back. I can't do it, Mom. I just can't do it. Honey. Will I ever see you again? What does it hurt to tell you? I hope so. Yes. I guess. Then we will see each other again. Brave and don't look back. 
There's just something about that scene that gets me every single time. That thing is called John Williams. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is. Well, um, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and that's John Williams. Yeah, it's him, and it's the way she says it. Like, I mean, it's not him in that scene. It's her, and it's the music, and it's the mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I can see that moment. Yeah. That's and, you know, there's just time, especially like when he's walking away, like holding Qui-Gon's hand. He like keeps looking back. I want to be like, that's the scene right there, Qui-Gon. Watch out. Like, he's clearly <laughs> attacked. This is yeah. not going to work. Yeah. All right, Beth. What is your number one? This surprises me that I'm going with this um, because I did not expect to ever choose a scene from Attack of the Clones. And yet I am. And it's that final scene where, do you want empires? Because this is how you get empires. It's mm-hmm. the, the clone battalions marching out. The the prototype Star Destroyers are coming in. And the, the prototype walkers are starting to come across. And, and you can just see everybody's a little concerned. But, like, really only Bale is extremely concerned. Like, only Bale is concerned enough. There's a moment where Bale just gently taps his fist taps, on, the rail, yes. on the railing. And yes. I remember watching that going like, that's when the rebellion starts. Exactly. It's the moment that Bale is, taps his fist on the railing is the beginning of the rebellion. Like Padme knew what was coming. She didn't live long enough to, to see anything through. But Bale is like, oh, snap. She was right. But at that point, Padme is still, she still trusts Palpatine though. Mm-hmm. She's known Palpatine like her whole That's life. She true. trusts. She still trusts him. Bale doesn't have any reason to trust him. And uh, and yeah, that moment. Yeah, I've I'll, I'll never forget that moment where he just taps his fist on the railing. Mm-hmm. Chad, what you got for number one? That's not Han Solo. Okay, first of all, <laughs> uh, disclaimer: my number one is the carbon freezing scene. I know, but I'm mm-hmm. going to stay away from that. But the real, but but this is this is real for me. Luke is hiding under the scaffolding and Vader is stalking him and Vader finally is trying to read Luke's thoughts and he says, sister. So you have a twin sister. Your feelings have now betrayed her too. Obi-Wan was wise to hide her from me. Now his failure is complete. If you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. And Luke jumps out of the shadows and starts ravaging Vader with his giant, crazy, no form whatsoever, giant swinging lightsaber attacks. Just hacking at him with a gorgeous piece of John Williams music with that male vocalization underneath it that that the the emperor's vocalization from that that moment and it's there's this great panning or this great tracking shot kind of as they're as they're fighting that's kind of tracking along with them and just that entire moment from when luke jumps out of the shadows to when he cuts vader's uh hand off um is probably the one is probably my favorite scene in all of star wars it really is um just be it's a combination of all the things we're talking about emotionally it's huge Visually, it's great, and the music is fantastic, and I just, I just love that moment. I don't think my number one is going to be very surprising, but I argue it is Star Wars in a nutshell, and has always been my favorite scene since I was a kid. 
but Luke watching the Suns set over Tatooine in A New Hope. Yeah. That's on always that was Star Wars. on my short list that almost made my three. Like that's you know that's the moment his world's opening up. He knows he's gonna leave. The, again, the Williams music is perfect in that scene. Like that for me is a hundred percent Star Wars. Yeah, well, I that's, agree with that. That's when you know who Luke is, and and you know what the movie's about. But you connect with Luke. He's watching two sunsets, sure, mm-hmm. but but what kid hasn't stood and and stared off into the distance, thinking about their future? They just don't do it with two sons. I can't fight you on that one. Would want to. So do we have any backups you wanted to mention? Sure. Of course. Fast. Yeah. Go uh, for it. Obi-Wan finally killing Maul was a pretty big deal. And the fact that he used the mm. same move to kill Maul that he, that Maul had used to kill Qui-Gon was also like a, it's a good damn scene. got him good. <laughs> it's a very good scene. I mean, I was, you know, in the end, I ended up feeling feelings about Maul that I didn't expect, but also like it was poetic justice that uh, he used that same move. Um, I had down um, the Ray and Finn chase at the beginning of Force Awakens. I think that it's the time where that trilogy becomes actually joyful for 10 minutes or whatever. There's a thrill of seeing the Falcon again. The, the whole the whole sequence where they're running towards the quad jumper and, and Finn's like, why don't we take that ship? And she's like, that ship's garbage. Mm-hmm. And then the thing gets blown up and she says, garbage will do. And it has that great reveal to reveal the Falcon that whole sequence and the chase through the super star destroyer uh, to me is the best that the sequels got as far as kind of star Wars uh, adventure. Um, so that, that one popped to mind as far as sequel stuff. All right. I had a sequel one. I can't even believe <laughs> this sequel one. Cause it's from stupid old last Jedi. <laughs> yeah. But the Yoda line, and I think I've come to appreciate it more of things. But when Yoda tells him that they are what we grow beyond. Skywalker. Still looking to the horizon. Never hear that. The need in front of your nose. I was weak. Unwise. Lost Ben Solo. You did. Lose Ray. We must not. I can't be what she needs me to be. Heeded my words not, did you? Pass on what you have learned. Strength, mastery, but weakness, folly, failure also. Yes, failure most of all. The greatest teacher failure is. talking to Luke and like really like the more you think about it like Luke's isolation really does kind of mirror Yoda's and you kind of see the end of Yoda's story like it's gone from this training and then I'm gonna hide and come back out later to kind of make sense like yeah they're gonna move beyond us and you know they'll know more than us and it's almost like a acknowledgement of yeah maybe we screwed up like maybe, yeah. you know, they're going to grow beyond us and they're going to fix. It. And then the rest of that garbage movie starts again. 
<laughs> but that's what that movie's about. It is. In, in, uh, in general, we can argue whether or not it fits uh, into the spot. Um, mm-hmm. A recent one that that's uh, taking context away from it, but I, I, I love the scene in The Mandalorian where Luke shows up. Um, uh, yeah. we, we can argue over yeah. the, the effects or we can argue over, you know, the Grogu moment or whatever. But when, when the X-Wing, when we see the X-Wing arrive and the dark troopers are there and someone starts swinging a green lightsaber in the hallway, come on. I, it, it's hard to get more excited for something than that, than I was for that. Would have been cooler if it was Plukoon. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been cooler cause he's dead. He's not dead. But, uh. <laughs> But that scene really, uh, that scene still sticks out to me as something they did really well in The Mandalorian. Yeah. Oh, I was as excited to see the Darksaber show up. The second that thing lit up, I was like, kid on Christmas. Oh, at the end of season one? Yeah. Yes. It's just like, oh my God, it's a Darksaber. Can't believe they finally did it. Obi-Wan could have had it if they put Kidster in it. It's fine. He's in the comic. <laughs> he, is in the, he is in the comic. He is in the comic right now. And then um, I wanted to point out one book moment in, in a, and it's recent, but in Thrawn, Lester Evil, Thrawn's trap at the end of the book where he traps the Grisk um, mm-hmm. and uh, Thrawn has that amazing, uh, um, the only question left is, are you ready to surrender? And all the all the ships that look like they've been derelict come to life and, and they just start beating the shit out of the Grisk. Mm-hmm. That to me is why I read the books is for moments like that. And um, and I also it also stand, it's recent recency bias. I understand there's probably other moments in the books. I almost put Thrawn's death as a moment as well that I'll never forget. Um, mm-hmm. I know Beth's forgotten it twice, but uh, apparently I did forget it a couple times. <laughs> uh, I almost put that, but that moment where he springs that trap and just, uh, I also think it's the best Timothy Zahn has ever been Yeah, I agree. in his, in his Star Wars writing. I, I admit to not reading his other stuff as much, but his, his, uh, in his Star Wars writing that last, whatever it is, hundred pages or something is the best he's ever been. And that, that to me is a, just one amazing scene that he, that he orchestrated. Um, that's one that came to me from books. There's some, probably some comic stuff too. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, my list could easily be the Carbonite scene, Han saving the day at the end of Je- uh, New Hope, and then probably Han and Chewie sitting behind the controls of the Falcon for the first time together in Solo. Mm-hmm. That could probably be my list. <laughs> so I'm a simple man. <laughs> the only other thing that really stuck out to me, and it, I mean, I guess it seems a bit obvious, was watching A New Hope before we recorded with the uh, Classic Track guys a couple weeks ago. It occurred to me if I was a kid who'd never seen anything Star Wars before, and of course I don't remember what the hell I thought when I first saw Star Wars because that was a long time ago and I'm old. If I saw Darth Vader and knew nothing else about Star Wars, that shit would be terrifying. Can confirm because I tried showing it to my daughter when she was five and she was not having it. (laughs) He is horrifying. He's choking people. He's throwing people around. Black suit, breathing heavy scary af she and wanted to the- watch star wars i put on star wars would it be less scary if instead of saying that starts later if you're like his name is sky guy oh she knows uh, the whole story <laughs> yeah well that's why i disagree with people who say that you should watch the movies in in the universe order because the whole thing about darth vader being scary is you don't know that he's some creepy little brat who whines about sand and force feeds girls fruit 
I have become a believer in the four, five, one, two, three, six watching order. Yeah, that the machete. I like the machete order. Just you watch one, you watch four and five. Then, you, then after the "I am your father" reveal, you go back in time, and you meet Anakin, and then you catch up again. That was one moment I will never forget: is seeing Castle Vader in a movie. God, that's so good. I was going to see Rogue One and they reveal Castle Vader. And I was like, holy shit, I can't believe they're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and now and now we're seeing all sorts of stuff on the shows and everything. Mount Tantus and... Uh, like seeing Fortress Inquisitoris. Fortress Inquisitoris and Obi-Wan. <laughs> it's like not even a big deal. Like, oh yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I played this level in <laughs> Fallen Order. Right. Oh, I'm familiar <laughs> with this place. Let me tell you the layout. <laughs> I'm almost too familiar with how this yeah. go, how this works, uh, <laughs> for, honestly. But know. I don't remember Reva being there, so she was away at the time. You're good, Corrin, but you're no Luke Skywalker. Corrin Horn's cheeks still burned at the memory of Commander Antilles's evaluation of his last simulator exercise. The line had been a simple comment, not meant to be cruel, nor delivered that way but it cut deep into Corrin. I never tried to suggest I'm that good of a pilot. He shook his head. (laughs) No, he just wanted it to be self-evident and easily recognized by everyone around you. Reaching out, he flicked the starter switches for the X-Wing simulator's engines. Green One has four starts and is go. All around him in the cockpit, Various switches, buttons, and monitors flash to life. Primary and secondary power is at full. Two and a half years after the Battle of Endor, badass Death Star Slayer Wedge Antilles has gathered together a group of pilots to choose from to recreate the legendary X-Wing group Rogue Squadron. He is able to convince Admiral Akbar to allow him to choose his own executive officer, Tycho Selchu who was a member of the original Rogue Squadron, but had been accused of being an Imperial spy after a solo mission to Imperial Center left him a prisoner. Although Tycho escaped and Wedge trusts him with his life, and I mean the dude was at Hoth and flew through the Death Star at Endor, his superiors aren't convinced of his loyalties, so Tycho can have it so Tycho can have the job if he flies a crappy old Z95 headhunter fighter instead of an X-Wing, gets no weapons, and is put on house arrest when he's not training with the rest of the rogues. Now, this is the point where Chad mispronounces a lot of names, even though he listened to the audiobook. But here are the Rogue Squadron names. Corin Horn, Oral Quirg, Noara Ven, Rastari Yar, Broar Jace. Jace is um, this book's Iceman. He's, uh, uh, he's got the, with the perfect douchebag name to go along with it, Broar Jace. I like to think he wears aviators. Erisis Delart, Delarit, Pesh Vaisik. Gavin Darklighter, who is Biggs Darklighter's 16-year-old cousin. Riv Shell, Lou Jane Forge, and Adorni Hui. He got through. I, I probably mispronounced 75% of those. And I listened to this. With Rogue Squadron complete, they begin their training. And soon Corrin Horn, former member of the Corellian Security Force, stands out above the rest. He's not the friendliest guy, turns out. At least his comrades think so. But eventually they end up bonding and Corrin is made lieutenant and put in charge of his own flight of pilots. Admiral Akbar then tells Wedge some frustrating news. Rogue Squadron will need to activate months before their training is finished. On the way to their new base at Talisia, the squadron is pulled out of hyperspace by an Imperial interdictor cruiser. Although surprised, the squadron survives their first battle, 
and saves the ship the Pulsar Skate, which is a smuggling vessel captained by Merix Tarek, who grew up with Wedge because this book is lousy with Karelians. Merix doesn't like Corrin because Corrin's daddy sent Merix's daddy, Booster, to Kessel when he was with Corsac. So, of course, not to spoil it for anyone, they're going to end up together in a few books. Probably the next book even. I don't even know. They, they're like flirting hardcore in this book already. Kirtan Lore is called to Imperial Center, formerly known as Coruscant, by uh, Izard, the director of Imperial Intelligence, whose father used to be director of Imperial Intelligence. And there are a lot of fathers in this book. It is a Star Wars book after all. And Isard tells Lore that Corrin Horn, a man he worked with back in Corsac, was still alive. Turns out a lot of people hate Corrin Horn and, and, and his dad. Uh, Izzard tasks Lore with destroying what Rogue Squadron once and for all. Although the rogues always use multiple hyperspace jumps to hide their locations, Lore, who turns out to be pretty smart, determines the location of their base on Talisia. The Imperials send two squads of stormtroopers to kill the rogues in their sleep. They fight off the bucket heads, but Lujane Forge is killed, and Korn and Gavin get real messed up and end up in back to tanks. They pull out of Talisia, looking for a new base of operations. Alliance Command later plans a large-scale attack on the coreward Imperial planet of Borlealis. Not Borealis. How was I going to pronounce that? Borlaeus? Borlaeus. On the coreward Imperial planet of Borlaeus, codenamed Black Moon. Although their intelligence suggests that it would be an easy target and could be captured by and could be captured and used as a step toward the Imperial Center, it is actually a trap set up by Imperial General with Star Wars-y ass name. Evir Derricote. After Borealis's, I'm just going to say Borealis, I don't care. After Borealis's planetary shields are taken down and the rebels begin the land to land attack shuttles, multiple squadrons of TIE fighters attack, the shield is reinforced, and the planet side defenses begin. Five rogue X-Wings are shot down and Adruni and Peshk are killed. The mission is a complete disaster given that they flew right into a trap. After the battle, Corrin hooks up with Lieutenant Page, the commando, and they come up with a plan to take back Black Moon. It involves distracting the sector's resident star destroyer, the Eviscerator, making some made-up intel about the Katana fleet, Rogue Squadron blowing up a Death Star thermal exhaust port-like power conduit thingy, and Lieutenant Page's commandos using a hole, using the hole that the X-Wings make to sneak into the Imperial base there and take it over. Akbar gives them the green light on their crazy plan. There are only six rogues left to fly, and they'll be flying air support for the commandos. A big battle ensues, and it ends up being a success. Uh, Stackpole writes great space battles, but I'm not going to recount it beat by beat. At the end, Corrin's ship runs out of fuel, and the rest of the squadron thinks him dead. He is rescued by the Pulsar Skate and the future Mrs. Horn, along with Typho tagging along, and no rogue is lost in the mission. Borealis is taken, and the Alliance takes a step forward in liberating Coruscant. As the story ends, Izard and Lore discuss the existence of an unnamed spy in Rogue Squadron and the latest info they have passed along. Who could it be? I guess you'll have to read the next book, Wedge's Gamble. So like I said a second ago, I want to start off with, this man can write a damn space battle. Two clicks, the heads-up display painted a yellow box around the lead TIE fighter. The box went green as the fighter's image locked into the HUD's targeting cross and Whistler's shrill bleat filled the cockpit. Corrin's thumb hit the button, sending three bursts of laser bolts at the lead fighter. The first set missed, but the second and third blasted through the spherical cockpit. The hexagonal solar panels snapped off and spun forward through space while the ion engines exploded into an expanding ball of incandescent gas. Corrin kicked the X-Wing up in a 90-degree snap roll and sliced through the center of the explosion. Laser fire from the second fighter lit up his forward shields, 
making it impossible for him to get a good visual line on the tie. Um, I was saying before we started that Alexander Freed must have read this book a lot before he wrote Alphabet Squadron because the battles feel very similar and and I like that it's it's technical but it's not it's not overly technical to where I'm going to fall asleep it's not reading like you know some kind of historical war thing where I'm going to zone out but it's technical enough without being boring did you ever play the old X-Wing TIE Fighter video games yes Michael Stackpole totally did too well the first battle in this book, the simulated battle, you know, in the simulator, that's from Star Wars X game. That's X-Wing. That's one of the mm-hmm. missions in the game. But in that game, one of the key mechanics to it was the routing of power between your guns, your shields, and your engines. That was yeah. pretty much the entire game was balancing yeah. balancing that out. And there's a lot of that in this book as well. You could tell Stackpole played that game. But he just, he writes the action, like you're correct, Beth. It's very technical, but you don't have to, but, and I don't know how technical it really is. It's kind of like when we talk about how Thrawn, how Thrawn, Jesus Christ, how Zahn writes um, his capital ship battles. And you're like, yeah, I guess that works. I don't know. I'm not a capital ship captain of a starship. I mean, it's all made up shit anyway, but it feels right. it feels realistic. Like, I don't know, but it feels like it is. Yeah. And with the fighters, it feels realistic. It feels exciting. It gets technical, but never in a way that you don't understand. It's just really yeah. tight writing. Um, I just I wanted to go back to this book mostly because I just I wanted to read the space battles again because they're a lot of fun. One of the things I like he does in his space battles that we never really saw in live action because it might look weird but he turns ships around all of a sudden. Like you're flying an X-Wing and you're in space, so you should be able to do this. And all of a sudden he just flips it around 180 degrees or he'll be going straight and then just cut all four momentum and go straight up. Yeah, I also think he uses three-dimensional space better than we see a mm-hmm. lot of times. You know, yeah. in Star Wars, we tend to use, we tend to just see the ships lining up in 2D fighting each other. Um but the he word uses, inverted gets used a lot in this book. Yeah. Well, I just saw Maverick a couple of days ago, <laughs> the Top Gun sequel. And um, Beth and I were talking beforehand. This is just Star Wars Top Gun. Yeah. Yeah. Court, I, I was like, hey, this is this is what the Patty Jenkins movie is going to be, right? It's going to be Top Star Gun Wars? I don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I mean, it'd be I, cool. I mean, cause this is a different, you know, this is a different time. This is in current Canon. We have the empire falling after only nine months after Endor, right? This is two and a half years and the war is still chugging along. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, they don't even call it the new Republic very often. They call it the Alliance more often than they call it the new Republic. They still haven't really established a government yet. And the empire is still out there. I, to me, this always felt like the more realistic way. For it to go, given the size and the breadth of the empire, very in charge of the core. Still, you've got planets like I like the setup of they're politically putting people into Rogue Squadron to kind of like, hey, look, you can be part of these heroes too. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, look, and also, we got a, a Bothan, we got everybody. Well, and also you have all these regional governors, right? The Moffs. That, that just because the emperor dies doesn't mean the moths all of a sudden give up all their power, you know, so it would take quite some time. And I, I know we as, as you get further into these books, it gets into the warlords that, that a lot of them are former moths and stuff that take over. 
And this series is leading up to the, I believe the series is leading to the liberation of Coruscant. Like that is yeah. kind of what the, the storyline is of the entire series. But um, I was a little disappointed that the book ends with a trench run, like that he had to come back to a trench run. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet again, it was a farm boy from Tatooine that <laughs> so, knew what he was doing. Here's my thing about the farm boys from Tatooine. So, <laughs> yeah. Great. Not just a farm boy in Tatooine, one that lived at Luke's house. Like, yeah. yeah. So, we're just handing out spaceships to any backwoods yokel who flew their space dirt bike around shooting at small defenseless animals because Luke did good. Yeah. It's worked out so far. They're one for one because Biggs died. So yeah, I mean, you know, but Biggs did his job, I guess he was Academy trained at least, Uh at least he had gone through the Academy and he was a legit pilot. Um, Yeah. The Gavin stuff is a little like feels a little shoehorned in there that they needed to have some kind of recognizable. There there maybe. was no need though. I mean, people who watched the movies wouldn't go like, Oh my God, it's big Darklighter's cousin. But also I guess, I guess people who were reading these books aren't just watching the movies. So yeah, know. if you're reading the book, you probably know who Biggs is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was struck reading it of it being just this different time or this, this different vision of how the war goes. Um, and, and it's still not, in this book, it's still not a foregone conclusion that they've won, um, unlike uh, modern stuff, uh, unlike current canon. It's just not – they still may lose. They have no idea, um, which I thought was is interesting. Beth, you said this beforehand. After reading a lot of books that were character studies. Boy, it sure not, is nice to have a book where things happen again. And, and <laughs> I'm not <laughs> – I am not knocking those character studies in any way because they're great. And I do love a character study and I do love getting to know the characters we enjoy more, but all those books that get bogged down in the middle, there is no bogging down here. It is action. And maybe the characters aren't as well fleshed out, but they don't have to be because the characters aren't the point. It's a story. We're telling a story. feels like this strikes a good balance. I don't want to, you know, imply that I don't feel like this is the characters are not well written. They are. It's just a good balance between telling a story and having characters. This book has a brand new protagonist for us. What do you think of Corrin? I mean, he's he's he is the new he is the lead character of the series. It's not Wedge. It's it's hard for me to look at any character that is kind of a smart ass, a cocky smart ass, and not think Han Solo. That's just he is a Karelian. He is a Karelian. And he's Karelian. Everybody's from the same dang planets. A lot of Karelians in this book. A lot of Karelians. I, I yeah. do like him though. And I don't I don't find Jace as unlikable as the book seems to want me to find him, or Corin seems to want me to find him, but I mean I like both of them. Yeah, Jace is just like I said, he's Iceman. Eventually eventually he get he warms up, you know. So at some point, I'll watch Top Gun and know what that reference means. <laughs> I do think Stackpole does a good job of mentioning Han Solo, though. Like, not ignoring that they're similar. Like, there's several times where they point out, I'm not Han Solo. Here's the differences. And- but they still, uh, he's still got this idea in his head that there's a Corellian as a type of person. That, yeah. That Corellia is definitely, I mean, again, this is also a different vision of Corellia than what we have now. 
Star Wars. Planets have one eco, one type of weather and one type of person. One type of person that comes <laughs> If you're a Bothan, you're this way. If you're a Carillion, you're this way. Now, did you ever read any of the comics that came out around this? I did a long time ago. Yeah, because Stackpole wrote the comics as well. Mm-hmm. And I think they told the earlier adventures of Rogue Squadron, the ones that Wedge is like referencing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The like the like the ones that took place before this when he's like, oh, yeah, back when we were still mopping up after the Empire or whatever, before he's forming his new because this is like the second Rogue Squadron, basically, right? That he's yeah. forming a new t- as, as like, almost like a PR stunt. Oh, yeah, it's completely a PR stunt. I like Horn. You know, Horn has a almost cliche character arc in this book of. You know, not having to be the head honcho and letting people take your data from your X-Wing and use it so you're not the hero. Yeah, Horn also in canon now, per Obi-Wan, which is interesting. Yeah, or at least at least a, a Force-sensitive child named Corrin. Oh, that's him. Stackpole's, like, talked about it. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, that's him. Whether we may see anything that comes out of that, who knows? I doubt it, but that's still, still cool mm-hmm. to have him there. Yeah, I, I, I like corn, but I'm also conflating it with everything I know that comes afterwards. Yeah. Um, and that he becomes one of the big hero Jedi of the galaxy. I had forgotten. I had thought that him and Merrix had this like kind of like bitchy Sam and Diane relationship or something, you know, where they hate each other. But they get over it real quick. They're yeah. flirting. They're flirting almost instantly. Mm-hmm. Like by the end of the book, she's asking him if he wants to spend the night together. And she by makes the end of the cake. She makes some cake. She makes some sweet cake. cake. Yeah. Not just cake, sweet cake. <laughs> One thing reading back through this, like, so Entry. Yeah. The droid. Yeah, I forgot to what? mention him. Yeah. Why why does he have a scoundrel mode? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Seems like bad programming. It really does. Like, there's no need for it to have that. I like Entry though. <laughs> I did like him, Trey. I just no, I like him. Just why would you do that? Why does he have this scavenger mode to get stuff? I mean, it works out for him. But I think that's one of the things. All right, so help me out because rereading this, and I, I still didn't follow it exactly. So, so Mirax figures out that it's some sort of trap based on the Carillion requisitions. Yes, and that's when she like races off to save him. How exactly does that happen? Like, I don't think I really understood that. It's the same. It's the same way that Rude Quorum had evidence <laughs> yeah. in Brotherhood. Just, it's just evidence. She just. Yeah. I don't she like know. looked at it. She's like, "It's a trap." And I was like, "Why does that mean it's a trap?" Like, he's just skimming <laughs> off the top, and it really wasn't like a trap. I didn't see it as a trap. I mean, I guess it was just extra guards and ships there they weren't counting on. Yeah, I mean that, and that was the idea, right? Is that he had extra? Uh, is that he w- he was holding Tie Fighters and everything in reserve that nobody knew about, even other Imperials didn't know about, right? And that's kind of the beginning of that idea of the Warlords. Yeah, you know that you would have these individual moths or admirals or whatever that would have their own private navies. Um, uh, comes from that, but yeah, I didn't really quite <laughs> figure that out either. She was just. She figured out it was. A, she has to be there to save him. Yeah, it gave her an excuse to take the little skate and head on out. Yeah, yeah, and we'll see plenty of the pulsar skate in yeah. other books. And Booster gets out of jail eventually, right? Yeah. Yeah, I thought I it, the only thing the thing that made me want to read more is I don't remember who the spy was. 
I don't think I do either. Yeah. Having not read this series before, uh, I, whether or not we keep doing any books from this series, I will keep reading. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can always come back to it every once in a while. The, the, they're all good. Mm -hmm. I just forget what a free for all the EU was during this time period during like the late nineties. And the yeah. EU was just everything all at once, like Thrawn's over here doing this thing, and this person thinks they're in charge of Coruscant over here. And, and There's a nice Katana fleet reference in this. Yeah. Yeah, there were definitely a couple of moments where it was like, yes, you've read Ear to the Empire. We can see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah, Thrawn's again. out there somewhere. We'll see. And they, they, mentioned, they mentioned the Truce of Bakura. Mm-hmm. Also gets mentioned because that book was already out by then. So, you know, it's all part of the the expanded universe. I mean, that's what they're doing, right? They're connecting everything. This is the first book that sets Wedge's characteristics up, really, isn't it? He's in he's in Trusabacura a little bit, I if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, no, this is the first one, you know, comparing him to the recent Top Gun sequel. Um in in Top Gun Maverick should be an admiral by now uh-huh. and he's still just a captain, right? Because he's never wanted to, he's never wanted to be a brass. He's always want, just wants to be a pilot, even though he's 75 years old. Wedge is kind of the same way. Like wedge hasn't wedge should be, he should be upper brass by now. He should be one of the, he should be a general. He should be an admiral. And instead he wants to fly ships, you know, he wants to fly. So I think that that's the most characterization we get out of him is his refusal to take promotions is kind of the, the thing that we get from him. You know, that he's kind of this work a day. He just sees himself as a pilot. And it, it's an interesting choice not to have him be the lead of the book. I guess, I think I assumed when the series started that he would be the, he would be the guy, but I think it's smart having somebody else and still mm. follow, still following wedge plenty. Did you have a favorite pilot? Oriel, Oriel, Oral, whoever yeah. the gand is. Um, and, Gets his arm sliced off. That was crazy. Yes. And yeah, I got to ask, hardcore. is it racist, specious that they call all, they call all Shistavanans Wolfman? Like the Shistavanan pilot is called Wolfman so many times, but <laughs> okay. So the Gand, we don't call him Bugman. Might be a little racist. A little specious but what, but, at least. But how, how do you, but how do you describe a Shistavanan? They're just a little Wolfman. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but they do it over and over again. Yeah. I mean, like, I'll admit, if I was there, I'd be like, that's a werewolf. And I would like not stop thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> but once you've described him to me as a wolf man, like, you don't have to keep doing it. Like, I got it the first time, dude. It's like when she says, my little green friend. We've all been thinking it. Just no one's ever said it. I, I liked Oril because I, I liked uh his characterization of himself in the third person. I, I thought yeah, they have it to was earn really interesting. You have to earn your name. And if you do something bad, you lose your name. I'm a big fan of Tycho. We're going to learn a lot more about Tycho as the books go on. This is just kind of a tease uh-huh. for him. Um, Cause we don't, we still don't know his full story yet, obviously of what he's gone through. Um, and uh, that that will play out a lot more in the rest of the books. I, I love how the book, like, I mean, this is a, I believe, a first edition paperback that I have, and it still says book one in the exciting new series. 
That's see, that's optimism. That's Star Wars. That's hope right there. I mean, I would say this book is definitely written though. There's a lot of setup for other stuff. Oh yeah, no, they knew they knew there was more coming for sure. Yeah, I was I was prepared to be mad because I'm like, why? I don't understand anything about this Tycho guy and what he's doing and why he's agreeing to all this. But presumably, oh yeah, I would learn more if I kept reading. It also has some good. Do we meet Baron Fell in these books too, or is that in the comics? I don't think Fell's in this one. Yeah, in these series. Yeah. I think he's a little bit of uh, what's his name, uh, Freyla. I feel bad for Tycho because he's like this hero of the rebellion, and yeah. it's like kidnapped and interrogated, and they're like, "Yeah, no, buddy, you're just yeah. gonna have to sit this out." Yeah, that's a good alliance thinking. It's <laughs> shocking that they don't do well sometimes. I like the scene where he's his little friend is there, his watcher, and they're like, you need to go to bed, sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's under house arrest. Yeah. This book gets a little sexy at times. Yeah. It's not just Mirex, but who's the other one that hits, keeps hitting on corn. Uh, the third, the fan, the other one. That's not Jace. Here's one of the reasons I like the old books. I didn't write down any other names. Page one is the dramatis. Persona, or how you say it. Let's see, what is her name? Yeah, Arisi. Arisi, yeah. Arisi's the one that's got a thing for Corrin. Mm-hmm. And you get the sexy Corrin where he's like, and I unzip my flight suit and put it down to my waist. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they have him think like, this would definitely relieve the stress. But I mean, I think that's interesting though, because we're still early in Star Wars books and sex isn't something that Star Wars really ever tackled. So, you know, I, this probably felt scandalous when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like when, when, I mean, a kid, I was fucking, how old was I when this came out? I was, what would we say? 98, 97? 96. Okay. All right. I was 20. But still, <laughs> when, you know, when I was a kid, I was scandalized by it. I mean, you know, the twins are around, but. Were yeah. made, they made by the force? I don't know. It never says. Never really says. <laughs> Unlike current canon where we know they did it on Endor. Yep. And on the Halcyon. <laughs> and then again on the Halcyon. <laughs> I got a notice saying, do you want to order your audiobook for the princess and the scoundrel? And I'm like, not sure. I want to listen. I don't know if I want to listen to that no, one. No, I not. do not. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to read it. We're going to read it. So. I'll, I'll, I know we're reading it, but I don't want to have to listen to it. So, Ryan, what are we going to read next time? Well, we are returning back to new canon. Uh, They have, I guess, decided they have fixed the prequels enough, and it's time to move on to the sequels. So we're going to be reading Shadow of the Sith by Adam Christopher, um, which deals with what Luke and Lando and Ochi and all sorts of people were up to before Force Awakens. And I will say so far, it is real good. It's a big book. It is. It's yeah. I put it next to Lesser Evil on my shelf, and mm-hmm. it's just a tiny bit skinnier. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, a seventeen-hour audiobook. <laughs> it's a lot of audiobook. It's a lot of audiobook. All right. Well, until then, thank you guys, and thanks everyone for joining us tonight. We will talk to you all very soon. Roger, roger.